You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here at Foothills Church. A couple of quick things that I want to make sure all you guys know. First of all, I mentioned last week, we're going to take a mission trip to Washington, D.C. We're going to leave on August 31st for six days, and uh, I need some help. We we're going to do some light construction, so uh, if you're a, a guy that can build stuff or uh, an electrician, those kinds of things, I need you. Uh, we also are going to do some, some uh, mission projects there, inviting people, prayer walks, uh, a service project there as well, and so uh, this is for guys and ladies. I would love for you to go and love on uh, the city of D.C. and our pastor uh, who is there in Washington, uh, D.C. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, More information, you can go to the Connect Center today and they will hook you up. And then secondly, one of the things I just want to put on your radar screen, one of the things that I've been working a lot on the last year and really excited about is the FC School of Ministry that starts uh, this September. And so in the, the journey strategy, the journey is our discipleship strategy here at FC. And some of you have been to base camp and camp two and camp Camp 3. Well, after Camp 3, you'll be ready for the FC School of Ministry. And and our goal is to build leaders. If we're going to reach more people in this city and around the world, we need to develop more leaders. And I'm super passionate about this, and I'm excited to offer this to those who uh, are ready for that next step. It's going to be a one-year commitment. We're going to teach a classroom setting, uh, which will also be involved. You'll also be involved in ministry. And so We're going to talk about systematic theology, uh, biblical leadership, and then making disciples. It's going to be an incredible, incredible, awesome experience for you to learn and for you to grow. And uh, we're also inviting uh, people not in our church that want to become an intern or what we'll call a resident here so that they can go through the school, but then also serve in our ministry so that we can uh, develop them and then send them out to plant churches and uh, help uh, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so this is going to be a ministry that will literally begin to touch uh, every area area of uh, not only our church, but um, even across the state and across the country, and I'm really excited to see how God develops it. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 18. We were there last week. Uh, we're going to look at the next story uh, today, and as you turn there, I want you to begin to think about the difference between what I, I would call a pretender and a, a true player. Um, I think we've all been in an organization, maybe you've been on staff somewhere or maybe playing sports, you've been on a team, and, and you've experienced somebody who you would call like a player. I mean, this is a guy that really gets it. You don't have to babysit him. You don't have to, you know, monitor him. He gets the job done, and he produces. Like, he's a player. Like, like he gets it done. He's productive. You've also been on teams. You've also been in, um, a, you know, in, in an office environment where uh, there's a guy, there's a gal who just doesn't produce. They talk a good game. They look like, uh, they, you know, they're going to fulfill. It looks like they talk like everything's going to be good. But then for, for whatever reasons, they just don't live up to the hype. They, they just don't produce. And, and so I would call them a pretender. And so there's a difference between a player and a pretender. I'll illustrate it with a story from my life in college. There was a guy on our basketball team. I'll call him Chris. And uh, Chris showed up and he was the Indiana State um, uh, dunk champion. And the hype was, was high on this guy. And he could jump out of the gym. He was a physical specimen. I and mean, he could bench 350. He was quick. He was, he was just impressive. And so everybody, including the coaches, were excited about this new guy that showed up. And um, when, when, when uh, preseason started, like we started to, you know, in the weight room and that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, like as we started about a week later, uh, Chris hurt his shoulder. 
You know, that guy, okay, well, he can't work out anymore. He hurt his shoulder. And then we started running outside, conditioning, and, and then all of a sudden, Chris had asthma issues, right? And so all of these things started happening, in, little injuries, and, this, and he was like never around. And then the season started, and we were practicing, and when we would practice, he wouldn't like give 100% you know, that guy. And then games started and everybody was like, man, this guy's got so much talent. And in warmups, he was the guy that would always dunk in warmups and stuff and get the oohs and the ahs from the crowd. And it was seriously impressive. It was fun to watch. But then when the lights were turned on, the game started, like he didn't put in the effort on defense. He didn't do the little things to make the team better. He played selfish. And at the end of the day, like he just didn't, he didn't produce on the court. And that that just continued throughout his career until eventually he didn't play his sophomore year and then he just left altogether by the end of that year. And it was like the perfect example of the difference between a player and a pretender. Like the pretender looks the part, has the potential, you think they're going to come through, but at the end of the day when the lights are turned on, they don't produce for whatever reasons. And you look at them and you're like, oh man, I thought he was a player, he's really a pretender. And I want us to think in terms today of our faith and, and kind of make that transition in, in, in our minds. And I, I just wonder, when it comes to your faith, would you say that you are a player in the kingdom of God? Or would you be honest today and, and, and realize that maybe you have been pretending? There are a lot of people who look the part of Christianity. They say the right things. They, they look the right way. But when it comes down to it, are you actually living your life for Jesus? That's the question I want you to begin to think about today. We're in a sermon series that we've called Almost Christian. And when it comes to faith, almost means never. And I'm wondering today who that pretender is, who that almost Christian is. You're so close to faith. You attend church occasionally. You look the part. You talk a good game. But for whatever reasons, you have not done what is necessary to become a true believer. You're an almost Christian, just pretending. And so today, I hope you make that transition. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ today. We saw some make that decision this morning. Last week, we talked about, um, we we began the conversation with the first false belief that the almost Christian believes. And we said that the almost Christian believes that you just have to be a good person to go to heaven. And I broke that down. And if you missed it, you can go online and watch that. Today, I want to talk about the second statement that the almost Christian believes. And, and that's the statement and the idea that all I have to do to go to heaven is just believe in God. I just have to believe in God and then I'm going to go to heaven. And if we were to take a poll in this room, I would say that the majority of the people in this room today would say, yes, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. There might be one or two or a few you know, people who would claim to be agnostics here today. A friend came, your wife brought you, and, and you're not really sure about the whole Christianity thing, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, you're, you're kind of questioning But the majority of us would say, yeah, I believe in God. If you go to work tomorrow and you were to ask around and take a poll or you were at Starbucks and you were getting into conversations about spiritual things, a lot of people would come to the conclusion that, yeah, I believe in God. And so what's the difference between somebody who is a follower of Jesus that says, I believe in Jesus or I believe in God, and somebody who is an almost Christian and says they believe in Jesus or they believe in God? Well, it all comes down to what does it really mean to believe in God? Like, what does that mean? And, 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 and a lot of us say it, and if we say it, does that mean we get heaven? Does that mean that we're on our way to heaven? And I would say emphatically, just because you say you believe in God doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you say you believe in Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you're going to heaven. There's more. In fact, the Bible says, hey, demons believe in God. 
In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. So big, big whoop if you're here today and you say you believe in God. I mean, demons believe that. It doesn't really change them. It hasn't changed them. They're still, you know, enemies of God. So what does it mean? Well, I think we're going to see today what is, in fact, necessary to have the hope of heaven and have Jesus come into your life and make him the Lord of your life and, and to actually be a follower of Jesus. And, and our story in Luke chapter 18, we come to this guy who we know as the rich young ruler. And so Jesus encounters this man, and as he encounters him, we begin to realize that this man is in fact an almost Christian. He has an opportunity to follow Jesus, but he does in fact not follow him. He actually walks away. And we see this name and we've read about him. Maybe you've heard about him, but he was a wealthy guy. Doesn't mean he was a king or anything like that, but he was a wealthy guy, a leader in the city, and he was probably younger than 40. And so he's kind of a young guy, a leader, and he has a lot of material possessions. And he comes to Jesus. And in verse 18, we have the record of the story. And it says this, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. The young man comes to Jesus, and the first thing that he says is, is he calls him good. And this wouldn't have been normal at this day and time because the popular belief with the, it was that only God is good. And so Jesus immediately challenges the young man and says, why do you call me good? And he kind of exposes the idea that this man was trying to kind of butter him up, maybe, maybe schmooze him a little bit, and, and uh, maybe he thought he himself was good as well. And so Jesus challenges him, and, and uh, his response we have in record here that he just kind of goes right into the next question, and he says, okay, well, what do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to be saved? And if you're taking notes, I, I've got three, three things that, that pretenders always look for when it comes to faith. And the first thing that we see this guy look for is that pretenders look for the shortcut. He looks for the shortcut. Pretenders are always looking for the shortcut. I, I, okay, Jesus, kind of give me the, the bare minimum, bottom line. At the end of the day, what do I got to do to have heaven? I don't want all the, all the stuff, and I don't want all the, like, the radical stuff. I just want like the bare, like what is it going to take to get me in heaven? Why? We want the shortcut. I know everybody else has to wait in line, but surely, Jesus, you can give me the, the, the ticket, the VIP pass that, that's going to help me to shortcut the system. A lot of people have this idea, and a lot of people treat God this way, and, and it comes out in this idea that what do I have to do in order to have heaven? Because we have this idea that there is something that we can do physically, morally. I can have enough works. I can do something that's going to earn me heaven. We talked about it last week, though, and we, we realized, at least I was sharing, and I hope you realized, that because of our sin nature, 
What we think is good and moral is always flawed. Our judgment is flawed. Our character is, is not just flawed. It is, in fact, filled with sin. And because of that, we cannot perfectly be good. We cannot perfectly do everything that God requires of us to do. And therefore, we can't earn heaven. We're not good enough to go to heaven on our own. God can't allow sin into heaven. And so, but we still try, right? And we still have that mentality. What do I have to do? And this man, he thought he could do something good to get God, to get heaven. And so that's why his question goes to this point. And he's looking for a shortcut. The second thing pretenders do is that pretenders want a checklist. And so when Jesus goes through these these sins uh, in this conversation, he says, yeah, check, 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 I got it. Jesus says, okay, you, you know what it's been said. Don't commit murder, adultery, stealing. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the man is like, yeah, checklist. I, I thrive on the checklist. I've been doing that since I was a kid. I'm good, right? So he's feeling good about himself. And, and the reality is a lot of people who are religious love the idea of, of a checklist. We love the idea of following a list of do's and don'ts. In fact, some of you grew up in a household where religion and being a Christian was all about rules. It was all about here's what you do and here's what you don't do. And it had nothing to do with the relationship with the Savior of the world. It was just about following these lists. And so some of you still follow this list today. And you think, well, if I go to church, if I give some money and I serve every now and then, I check all three boxes that I need to check and I'm good, I'm going to heaven. Not necessarily. You could be a pharisaical Christian that just is living by a set of, you know, rules that has nothing to do with the relationship with Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this something that has become part of my life? Am I a pretender? Am I an almost Christian just living by a system of checks and balances? And Jesus often dealt with Pharisees who lived by all of these rules and condemned all these people that didn't follow these man-made rules. And and in Matthew chapter 23, he calls them blind Pharisees. (laughs) You're blind if you think this is what it means to please God or to worship God, he says. He continues. He says, first, clean the inside of the cup and dish. Then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. See, this is the almost Christian. This is the pretender who's all about status. They're all about appearance. They're all about the checklist. I want to make sure everybody knows that I'm good, that I'm righteous. If you don't live like me, then you're terrible. Like to have this idea that everything on the outside has to be put together, and I've got to present this in such a way that everybody views me and looks at me like I have it all together. This is a pharisaical way to look at our Christianity. And Jesus says, first clean the inside. You clean the inside, then the outside will be evident. But what, do, what does the almost Christian do? They only focus on the external appearance of how they appear. And when you think about this checklist that he gave, what, what's, what do all these things have in common? Adultery, stealing, murder. These are all external behaviors that you could see in my life. I could see them in your life. And so again, it points to the reality that this man is only concerned about status and appearance. If you can see it, 
then I make sure I don't do those sins, right? I I make sure I don't murder people because I don't want you to see that in me and that behavior. And so whatever the behavior is that I I think you're going to see, then I make sure I'm good in those areas. I check those boxes. But in the other boxes, I'm not really concerned about. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't get it. It's not about the external status. It's about the internal heart condition that you walk into this room with today. Where is your heart today? Jesus says next, he goes straight to the man's heart. He says, one thing you lack, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Follow me in discipleship and you'll be saved. Now, does this mean that for us to have eternal life, we all have to go sell everything today and give it to, you know, some poor person? Of course not. The reality is what Jesus is doing here and what he often does when he encounters people personally is he always requires them to turn from their sin and he, he usually and consistently will put his finger on the area of sin in someone's life that is most influential. And the most influential sin apparently in the rich young ruler was wealth and material possessions and the fact that he clung to his material possessions. He worshiped money more than he was willing to worship Jesus. When you think about the woman at the well, Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. And she's like, eh, I don't have a husband. Jesus was like, yeah, it's because you're living with a dude that's not your husband, right? In fact, you've had five. What does he do? He puts his finger on the area of sin in her life that is most influential. He does this in every, every encounter that, that he goes. And so The idea, again, is where's your heart today? You have to sell everything, give it to the poor, but he is going to confront you with the sin that is most influential in your life. So what is it, man? What is the one area of your life that you have not given up control to God? You've not given him complete authority in your life because you you got to hold on to it, and you're not willing to give it all. You're not willing to give it up. You're not able to sing the song we sang a little bit ago, all of me to all of you, Jesus. Take it it all. No, the idea for the almost Christian is take most of it, Jesus, but but just not this part. I can't give you this part because I don't trust you in that area. The almost Christian likes to check boxes, but he won't check this last box. The last box is pretenders only want to make a soft decision, not a hard decision. So when Jesus says, hey, go sell everything, it's too hard. It's too difficult. The commitment is too high. He's almost a Christian. Submitting to Jesus was too hard. He liked his money too much. He liked his material possessions more than he wanted Jesus. You say, he believed in God. He'd been following the rules that God had given to him. But he had not submitted his life to God. He was unwilling to submit his life to Jesus. And folks, there's a big difference between the person who says they believe in Jesus and the person who says that they have surrendered their life to Jesus. That means that everything has changed. Some of you, when confronted with the gospel, simply walked away from Jesus. You just walked away. It was too much. The price, the commitment, it was too heavy for you. And so you walked away. And don't miss this. Jesus let the man walk away. He let him walk away. He didn't say, go sell everything. The man walks away sad and goes, whoa, 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 come back, come back, come back. Okay, let's try this again. Try it again. 
How about I make it rain right now? Make it rain. All right. Miracle right now. Anybody got a cup of water? Water to wine right here. You believe it. Then you'll follow me, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, okay, okay, okay. Don't give it all. Just give a hundred bucks a week and that'll be good. Just do that and everything. Jesus is not in the habit of cutting you a deal. He is not going to lower the commitment. He is not going to lower the, the standard so that you will come and follow him. He will let you walk away. And some of you, in fact, have walked away. Now, here's what's confusing, though, in our culture. Because so many good old boys in East Tennessee are here today. It's like you, you walked away from Jesus, but you've convinced yourself that you're a Christian. You've convinced yourself that you prayed a prayer, that you got baptized, and that you're a Christian, even though you still walked away from Jesus. In other words, you did not submit your life to Jesus. You prayed the prayer, I wanted heaven, and then I lived however I wanted to live, right? Newsflash, college still counts, okay? It's like, oh, well, that was college. As if those years don't count. It counts, right? So what is it? Are you or are you not? Have you given your life to Jesus or have you not? And some of you, if you would be honest, you would realize today that you've just simply walked away. You've walked away from Jesus. Never had him. Some of you walked away because just like the rich young ruler, money and status and power is more important to you than following Jesus. You wanted the six figure, you wanted the house, you wanted the family, you wanted all that stuff more than you wanted Jesus. For some of you, it's some kind of fear in your life. You're afraid that if I give Jesus control of my life, then he's not going to, you know, bless me or I'm not going to be happy, right? As if following God means that you're miserable and, you know, living how you want to live means that you're happy. Well, I had a guy come to me and I was just counseling him a little bit. And, and I'll never forget this. He was like, you know, I'm close to making this decision to follow Jesus. But one thing that I'm, I'm really worried about is if I, if I give him my life, then I'm worried that he's not going to let me follow my dreams. He's not going to allow me to fulfill my dreams. And I was like, praise God, he's not going to fulfill your dreams because your dreams are way too small. Your vision for your life is way too pathetic compared to the glorious and and, and an awesome power that God wants to give to you in your life and he wants you to accomplish in your life. It's way too powerful, way more than any little peddly dream that you could come up with. Some people maybe have gone through a tough experience in life. Maybe something bad has happened to you and and, uh, you've not been able to process that. You can't understand how a good God would allow some of that to happen in your life. And so you walked away from Jesus because you've got some pain in your life. You've got some suffering in your life. A lot of people just walk away from Jesus because they're lazy. You're just flat out lazy. And there's some lazy guys in the room. And if you were honest today before the Lord, you would admit you're just lazy. You'd rather watch Netflix than follow Jesus. You'd rather sit around and play video games like a teenager than follow Jesus and take care of your family and take care of your wife. You see, the reality is the laziness that is in our life spiritually is in fact a sign that you're not following Jesus. So what is it? What kept you from Jesus? What's keeping you from following him today? 
Maybe today you'll make that decision. Maybe today God will save you. Maybe today this will be the, 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 the day that kind of changes all of that in your life. But, but Jesus will let you walk away. Sadly, the man walks away. I think for some people, I don't realize that you're either taking hold of Jesus in your life, all of Jesus, or you've not taken any of Jesus. It's either all or nothing. You either put your faith and hope in him or you put your faith and hope in something else. The man sees the call that Jesus has on his life and he says, can't do it. Too difficult, too high. He was a pretender. He wanted to look the part. He wanted to check the boxes, but he didn't want to pay the price. He didn't want to submit his life to Jesus. He didn't want to give his, 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 his all authority to Jesus. He was an almost Christian He walks away, and then Jesus says in verses 23 and 24, he goes on to teach us. And he says, it's it's really difficult for people who have a lot of material possessions to find saving faith, to experience salvation. Why? Well, the reason is because possessions often make us think that we don't need Jesus. Possessions and wealth make us think that we're okay on our own, at least not in every area. If something, you know, there's a disease or something happening and we know we can't fix it, there's not a cure, well, then we need Jesus. But apart from that scenario, I don't really need him because I've got plenty of money, I've got plenty of wealth, I don't need anything else. But the reality is it's such a false way of thinking. So Jesus directly, you know, hits the nail on the head here. The camel would have been the largest Palestinian animal around. So if you've ever wondered, why a camel? Why not like a Tyrannosaurus Rex or a, you know, a really large elephant or something? Why? There was the largest animal there. And so Jesus makes the connection. He says, hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven to gain eternal life. And they would have been like, huh? How's a camel going to? Jesus like, that's the point. It's not going to happen. It's really difficult for that to happen. Because there's no, there's no conception there that you are a sinner, that you are in need. Why? Because you don't, we don't have a need for anything. You got money. Now, this is relevant in our culture because in America, we would be considered rich, uh, you know, across the board. And three-fourths of the world would say that you're rich if you've got air conditioning, you've got a car, you've got a house. Most of you have jobs, right? And so we would be considered wealthy. Now, you spent too much, and so a lot of people in the room have, you know, a lot of debt, and therefore you think you're not rich, but that's just your bad habits and bad spending, right? We get into that. But at the end of the day, you got plenty of resources and, 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 and money to take care of your needs. You're not worried about where you're going to eat. And so the warning goes to you today. The warning is for me. It gets easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich person to gain eternal life. It's really difficult. Have you come to a place in your life where you've said, you know what? I am a sinner. I need a Savior and I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to just be forgiven and get heaven. What I am saying is I need forgiveness and I am giving my life to Jesus. And so therefore I am going to serve him and follow him. Don't miss that part of the story. Jesus said, go sell or, and give away your money and then follow me. Right? You, you don't say, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and then go in whatever direction you want to go. It doesn't work. That way, so what is required? Well, what's required is a faith that leads to repentance. A faith that leads to repentance. Belief in God is not enough. 
Sure, you've got to accept the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave. He's coming back again. But then that faith, that belief, turns into faith, and it leads to true repentance. And repentance just means that you've done a 180 in your life. It means that I've been living my life my way. Now as I put my faith and I believe in Jesus, I am turning my life around in a complete 180, and I am now following Jesus. Because before I was following Trent, now after repentance, I'm following Jesus. I think a lot of, I I have these conversations a lot. There are folks who maybe grow up in a different denomination or grow up in church or in and out of church or maybe, you know, Catholicism or something. And and they're confused by the fact that there was, you, you were born lost. And there is or was, or maybe not, but But if you're a follower of Jesus today, there was a moment in your life where there was a, what we call a great exchange, where Trent, the old Trent died, and the Spirit of God gave me a brand new birth. I was reborn. My spirit was reborn. I passed from death to life. That was a moment. That was an event in my life. Now, leading up to that, there were several you know, situations where I was learning about Jesus and I had spiritual experiences and I was questioning and I was, you know, uh, had different experiences. But then there was that moment where Jesus saved me. There was that moment where I, I was reborn. The Bible calls it regeneration, where my spirit was regenerated. There was a brand new birth. Now, some people believe, well, I was just always a Christian. Listen to me. That is not true. In fact, the Bible calls you an enemy of God before Christ. So think about this for a minute, please. Think about it. When was that moment for you? When was that time, that season of life where Christ saved you? That moment when you gave him control of your life, you repented of your sins, you turned away from your way, and you turned to his way. That doesn't mean that we, per- we were perfect after that. It doesn't mean that there weren't hiccups and I'm not still struggling with sin, but there was a definite change in the course and direction of my life. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't want any of you to walk away from him. He wants you to experience repentance today. He wants you to turn from your sin. He wants to, you to turn from your life. He wants you to turn away from the things that you are hoping in and trusting in, like your money and your relationships and sex and drugs and whatever it is in your life that, that Jesus would say, this is the sin that's keeping you from the kingdom of God. He says, turn from that. Repent from that way of thinking and trust him with your life. Acts chapter 2, the, the, the people say, what must we do to inherit eternal life? What, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter says, repent, turn from your sin, be baptized. He makes this statement. He says, when you do that, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit lives within you. 
And then he says, this is happening for those that God is calling to himself. You see, you cannot experience this salvation without God calling you. It's his initiation. He's the one that says, come here, follow me. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus. This is what it looks like. See, and some of you are here today, and you're, you're feeling that call. You've been feeling that call, and that's not me. That's not my words today. That's the Spirit of God that has drawn you to himself a little bit at a time, culminating in that moment where I pray that you'll say yes to Jesus and decide to follow him. Elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. (laughs) Daily follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Just be honest with yourself. Is that what faith looks like for you? Are you daily taking up your cross and following Jesus? So you're, you're pursuing Jesus in your life. That's what a life of genuine repentance looks like. Jesus says, what, what's it going to gain you? What profit is it for you? If you get the house, you get the job, you get the money, you get the toys, and yet you forfeit your soul. What, what, what good is that if you spend your entire life trying to build your kingdom, and at the end of your life, You spend an eternity in hell. What does it profit you if that is your story? And he says, man, don't let it happen. And then he makes this statement, whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, essentially I'm going to be ashamed of him. In other words, the almost Christian struggles with this. Like, I'm not sure I want people to know I'm a follower of Jesus. And so that ashamed feeling is there. It's evidence in the fact that some people last week said, yeah, I prayed to receive Christ, but then we said, okay, come tell us, and you didn't move. Right, or at work, you don't want people to know you're a Christian, or at home, you don't want to really act like a Christian and do spiritual things in front of your family. Why? There's, there's this something in you that's ashamed. Jesus says, don't let that happen. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. To to pick up your cross daily and follow him means to to, to follow him and accept his ways as your ways. To accept his direction as your direction. To accept his rejection as your rejection. Because the world rejected him, the world's going to reject me and you for the same faith that we have in Jesus It means that we are accepting his future as our future, our future king, our future hope. Our future home in heaven is with him. Take up our cross daily. The bottom line is this. Genuine faith is always accompanied by genuine repentance. So what about you? You a player following Jesus, genuine repentance? Are you just pretending? trying to look the part, act the part, check off a few boxes that you're okay with. Those boxes that you read about or you hear preached about or whatever, that's not really for God, that's just for you. 
we've got an intern that's been serving here for the last year. Her name's Michaela. And uh, her story, she gave it to me a, a year ago, and, and I was reading it a week or so ago, and I was like, man, this fits perfectly for what I'm talking about this Sunday. And so I want to share her story. This is her hand. She wrote this story, and uh, I'm just going to read it to you. And, it, and here's what she says. She's going to be a senior in high school this year. Michaela says, I grew up in a Christian household where religion was very important, but I just never really got, I just never really got it. I said I believed in God, but I never opened a Bible or thought about God at all. I walked around wearing a mask, so if anyone ever asked, I would have, I would have my automated answer, yes, I'm a Christian, ready to go without even knowing what it really meant or caring what that meant. I just knew it's what my family wanted. I didn't care to learn about God, and I never thought about it. During this time, I never knew my purpose or that I had a purpose. I just thought that life was all about me, how I could better myself for myself. I got my happiness from other people, and when they would disappoint me, I'd be left feeling empty. I always had this feeling of being homesick, and I had this missing piece, yet I never knew what that feeling was for. And so I tried to fill that space with people and activities and hobbies, but after so long, I'd come back to that same empty feeling. The years went by. My family hit some really hard times. My aunt passed away. She was my mom's sister. She was only 32 years old. And after that, our family dealt with a lot of anger, and we fought all the time. But after that, something started to click, and I started to do research about Jesus. I brought it up to my family that we should start going to church, and I started looking at different churches in town, and one day we decided to go. And by accident, we showed up at Foothills Church. <laughs> the entire day, we talked about the sermon and how funny the preacher was and how much we just felt like we were home. Must have been a guest speaker that day. <laughs> He's not funny today. <laughs> I just felt something tugging on my heart. Hard times slowly started looking up in little ways that I didn't see until now that I look back. And I continued reading my Bible, and I, I started talking to God, just hoping He would listen. And on September 4th, 2016, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Since then, life has been drastically different. I don't have that missing space in my heart anymore. I don't go to people or things for my happiness and fulfillment, because now that space is filled with Jesus, and He fulfills every need I have. My relationship with Christ grows stronger every single day, and through Him, I found my purpose. He's brought me to so many amazing people and blessed me in so many, with so many amazing opportunities, all for His glory. To look back at my life only a year ago is still so crazy to me. Life isn't perfect by any means, but God is. And I know with Him at the forefront of my life, I can get through any trial I face. And for some of you, you probably relate to that story. God is semi a part of your life. Semi there, you know, my grandmother went to church, my parents or whatever. I went to, you know, VBS as a kid. Or... And so it's easy for you to say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But when you read the Bible and you read stories like we just read today, you realize that gaining eternal life has way more to do than just saying you believe in something. You can sleep in the garage tonight, but that doesn't make you a car, right? You can say whatever you want to say 
But at the end of the day, does your life have evidence that there has been a change? There's difference. There's genuine repentance. You say, well, man, I, I, when I came to Christ, I was seven years old. I wasn't really repenting of a life of addiction or anything. <laughs> but here's the thing about repentance. It's a habit of repentance. So if you're looking back to that early age experience, then I would say, well, has, your, has there been a habit of repentance that you followed in your life? As, as, as evidence, that's encouraging, I think, for, for those who, who've been in church a long time. But there are others if you were honest today, you would just say, man, I've said some good things. I feel like I've done some good things. But at the end of the day, if you were to ask me if I was, I was confident that I'm going to heaven, the answer would be, I'm not too confident. And it's for you that I want to speak to and give you an opportunity right now to put your faith and to put your trust in Jesus. Would you bow your heads and you just ask nobody, move around if you would just hang tight because God is dealing with some men and some women and some young people in the room today. And I want to lead you in a, in a prayer. And before I do, let me just make this statement. This is not a magical prayer. God will use this prayer, though, to help you make this decision and to give you some, some, some form to take this step, but there's nothing magical about this. Saying it right, saying it perfectly. It's not about the external words. It's about the internal heart. So where is that heart at right now? If you're ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus, just simply say this to God. Say, God, I confess that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave, and today I ask him to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, and to save me right now. I surrender all. I give you control of every area of my life. I submit my life to you, King Jesus. If you prayed that prayer in your heart today is to give your life to Jesus, would you just look up here at me? No one else looking up at me. I see one. Did you just pray that, man? Praise God. Just keep looking up at me. Ma'am, did you pray that? Praise God. Anybody else in this row? I'm looking to the left side. Anybody in the back? Anybody looking at me? Wave your hand at me if you're looking at me. I can't see all the way back there. I saw a few here. What about the middle? Anybody in the middle section is looking up at me? I see you. Praise God. Ma'am? Praise God. Anybody else? Am I missing anybody? I see two here. Ma'am? Praise God. Praise God. You guys hang tight. I'm coming back. Anybody on this side? I see one. See you, my man. Praise God. Anybody in the back? I'm looking, I'm looking. Anybody in the front? Ma'am, you looking? Did you just make that decision? Praise God. So I saw probably six, seven folks looking at me. Here's, here's the deal. We want to celebrate with you, and we want to go back to that verse. You, you can't follow through on this on your own. 
And so we're here to help. And so uh, we've got some section leaders. They're wearing light blue t-shirts. Um, we're going to stand up in just a second after I pray. And I want you to go find that light blue t-shirt and tell them you just prayed to receive Jesus. And then they're going to lead you out this back door to your left. And there's some folks that that are in the care and prayer room. You can take your husband, your wife, your kids with you. If you would like, take all your stuff. That's fine. We're not in a hurry. But they just simply want to connect with you for a minute because it is so very important that from this moment on, you've got a support system with you. And so uh, we would go back to that verse of not being ashamed of this decision that you just made. And so as I pray, uh, we're going to praise God. And then we're going to expect movement in this place as we close and uh, the rest of us are just going to sing uh, as you move. Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts that have been changed, the lives, God, that you have just saved, and we are thankful for that. God, give them power. Give them confidence in the, in the, in the faith that you have just given to them. May they walk in power. May this be a day that has forever impacted their future. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Would you guys please all stand? And as you stand, let's praise God for all the decisions that we just saw and experienced. Section leaders, would you just wave your hand? All over, section leaders are waving their hand. We've got folks over here. We've got folks in here. As we sing and as you stand, if you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, would you go find them right now? Let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.